<coughs> yes, indubitably old sport. Levine taking the bump from Bledsoe oh. and a foul. Levine another three. Bang, the Bulls bang, bang. Levine has the space. And another oh. three. Been a little bit of a slog for him. Shooting. Hasn't been for Levine tonight. Oh, stop it. Lewis trying to guard Levine here. Get stop off me. Get oh. off me. Zach what, are you, Levine. What, what are you doing on me? Get off me. Levine had it stripped. Got it back oh. and jammed it in. Keep reaching. Denzel setting up Zach. That's a corner three. Open and good. Saucy. Five this year. Levine looking for a season high. He's oh got it. My goodness. 46 for Zach Levine. Yes. Big time onions. Welcome into Old Sport Radio here on SportstownChicago.com. I'm your host, Pat Riley. Zach Levine is an all-star indeed, being rewarded for his breakout season. Announced yesterday, was chosen by the Eastern Conference coaches, and uh, just a really, really well-deserved, I would say, after kind of being snubbed last year when the game was here in Chicago and everyone was kind of expecting him to make it after the season he was having then, but I think the Bulls were just too bad and there are too many good players in the NBA right now, as we found out last night with some of the players who didn't end up making it. But Zach finally gets rewarded. He's having a monster season offensively, averaging 28.9 points per game, sixth in the league, 5.4 rebounds, 5.1 assists per game, all great numbers, but even more impressively, he's doing all that on 51.8% shooting from the field, 43% from three, and 86% from the free throw line. So crazy efficiency. I'm sure everybody has heard the stat by now, but only two players in NBA history have finished a regular season with a stat line of 28 points per game on 50% field goal, 40% three, 85% free throw. And that is Steph Curry and Larry Bird three times. So Pretty good company to keep yourself amongst if you're Zach Levine. And and the Bulls are now up firmly supplanted into the playoff race as they currently sit in the eighth seed. Now, bear in mind, this year is a little bit of a different playoff format where there is going to be a play-in for the 7 through 10 seeds now. We'll play a tournament for the eighth seed. So the Bulls... That's probably where their fate sits right now. But as it currently sits, as I mentioned, the Bulls are the eight seed at 14 and 16, but they only sit one game back and a game and two games, a game and a half back of the four seed. So the Eastern Conference is a jumbled pile of mediocrity right now. And the Bulls are starting to play better basketball of late, going six and four in their last 10. And finally, just starting to buy into the Billy Donovan system. It's paying dividends, especially with Zach. I think the most important thing when you look at Zach, though, is he worked really hard for this as well. And I think last year after he didn't make the All-Star team, he really put it upon himself to go out this offseason, work that much harder so he could come out this year and, and really make his stamp on the league. And as I mentioned, he's... Sixth in scoring, close to 30 points per game. 
Another stat that you've probably heard by now, but just insane to hear it, so I'm going to repeat it. He is right now averaging the highest, he's having the highest scoring month on a per-game basis of any Bulls player since MJ. And it ranks the 31st highest scoring month in Bulls history, tied for M- tied with MJ at that 32.1 points per game. Jordan owns the first 30 on the list, which is just amazing and speaks volumes to his legacy and what and how great he really was. But to see Zach do this and be rewarded with an all-star game appearance, which, again, in this season, you argue about whether or not they should even be playing an all-star game, but just getting that recognition, not just not just the selection, but just the way that it went down as well. He finished fourth in fan voting and third in player voting amongst Eastern Conference guards. So not only... Did he receive a lot of respect and did the Bulls fans show out for him with the fan voting, but his peers showed him a lot of respect by putting him third to a, in a conference that has a lot of good guards. So that I think that was high praise. And then obviously for the coaches to come through and make the selection, I'm happy for Zach. He has been definitely the, not the lone bright spot, but the brightest spot for the Bulls this year. And he makes the Bulls, watchable. He's an absolutely dynamic offensive player. And as I mentioned, the efficiency in which he's doing all these things makes it that much more impressive. And he's also dealing with the fact that he probably, there's, I mean, there's not a, definitely not a top, another top 50 NBA player on this roster, but you could argue there might not even be a top 80, another top 80 NBA player on this roster, just with the the young players and the inconsistency and Zach Levine is putting the team on his back, and he's got him right in the middle of a playoff race. And And I hope that the Bulls extend him and keep him around and try to build around him. I still feel like he is best served as a number two option. He can be a number one scorer, but I, I, you just would love to have another more prominent superstar paired with him to see what he could really do. And, and you kind of see it to a lesser degree, but not even – necessarily one of the high-level superstars, but just another star-level player who knows how to play the game. I'm not saying this guy is that, but you've seen this year Billy Donovan has utilized Thaddeus Young, who is a consummate professional. He's been in the league 13 years and just knows how to play. And Zach Levine plays his best basketball on the court when he's playing with Thaddeus Young this year. And and I think you... When you watch them play, he struggles more, or the team struggles more when he's playing with the young guys like Kobe White and Markinen when they're when he's on the court. And that's frustrating because this is the young core that you're hoping to see play together, and it seems like Zach is playing better when playing with tough NBA veterans who know how to play the game. They might not be the young, flashy, high scores, but Thaddeus Young is a professional scorer in the NBA. He has been since he's been in the league. He's been consistent everywhere that he's went. And and Zach has been vocal about saying how much Thaddeus Young has helped him improve this season. But just to see, because we hear all of this stuff locally, and we watch the Bulls every game, so we know what Zach's doing, and we know how impressive it is. But the Bulls have kind of slipped into obscurity nationally because they haven't been relevant for quite some time. And as I mentioned, this is the first All-Star they've had since 2017. So four years 
And that's when Jimmy Butler went on his nice little run here before bouncing on a couple teams and getting himself paid pretty well. It's been a tough run for the Bulls. And to see them finally have a piece in place that it feels like we won the Jimmy Butler trade, because as I mentioned, Jimmy's on his fourth team, I believe, since the Timberwolves. And Zach has turned into a bona fide offensive superstar. He has improved on defense this year, but he's still not a good defender. He's lucky if he's an average defender, which frustrates you a little bit because he has all the athletic tools to be a plus defender. But I'm not going to knock the guy because he's having a great year and he's clearly the best player on the Bulls. And I think he is having the best season by a Bulls player since Michael Jordan was on the team. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's including Derrick Rose's MVP season of 2011. If you just look at the the numbers, if you just compare them, it's obvious. And obviously he has to finish this out the rest of the season, but I mentioned Zach's numbers this year, 28.9 points a game, 5.4 rebounds, 5.1 assists on 52% from the field, 43% from three and 86% from the free throw line. When Derek won the MVP in 2011, he averaged 25.1 points per game, 7.1 assists, 4.1 rebounds on 45% from the field, 33% from three and 86% from the line. So not only was Zach scoring more, his uh, rebounds were up, his assists were a little bit lower than Derek's, but still, still pretty comparable now, the one thing Derek had going for him is the Bulls went 62-20 and 20 that year and were the number one seed in the East. And obviously, as I mentioned, this Bulls team is 14-16 and 16 in the eighth seed in the East right now. But just from a sheer numbers standpoint and efficiency standpoint, I don't even think it's questionable. Zach is just having a phenomenal season. We haven't seen a season like this offensively since Jordan. He's almost averaging 30 points a game. And it's not without, it's not out of the realm of possibility to think by season's end he could be up at 30 points a game. We've seen him have a few outbursts in the last couple weeks, a 40 point outburst. He was consistently scoring 30 for about seven or eight games there. He only had 21 in their last game, but he's just been an absolute machine. And the efficiency, you know, we mentioned Derrick Rose. He was 45% from the field and 33% from three in that MVP season. You have to remember, though, Derrick Rose didn't shoot a lot of three-pointers. Zach Levine shoots considerably more three-point attempts than Derrick Rose did at his peak. He definitely was more of a drive-to-the-lane, finish-at-the-bucket, floater, mid-range jumper type guy. Zach can do all those things as well, but he also shoots the three at a pretty consistent volume, definitely at a more consistent volume than what Derek did during that MVP season. And with all that considered, he's still shooting 7% better from the field and 10% better from three-point. So that's to me, that is just insanely impressive. Again, I mentioned if he finishes with those numbers, he's going to be among very rare air with Steph Curry and Larry Bird, who's already a Hall of Famer. Steph's going to for sure be a future Hall of Famer, already is a future Hall of Famer. And when anytime you can put your name amongst legends like that, there's it's not a mistake. It 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 just it just isn't. Those those type of one off seasons don't really happen to that degree of of not just volume but efficiency. Because again, Zach is playing on a team where he's clearly the most talented player, so he's going to get the looks. 
But it'd be one thing if Zach was putting up 29 points a game with, you know, shooting 38% from the field and 25, just throwing, chucking. But he's not. He's going out there. He's taking on the responsibility of being the best player. His last 10 games, he's averaging 33 points. And he's doing it shooting 53% from the field and 50% from three. Just insane efficiency. He's making Bulls basketball exciting again, and he's been rewarded as an all-star, and he deserves it. But Zach Levine isn't the only player putting up stellar numbers for an Illinois basketball team this year. I'll talk to you about why College Basketball Player of the Year might be playing in Champaign here on SportstownChicago.com. Bellow trying to split two defenders, the underhanded oh! Osumu, and oh my, a poster! Welcome back into Old Sport Radio here on SportstownChicago.com. I'm Pat Riley. That was one of the many highlights this year we've gotten from Io DeSumo of the Illinois men's basketball team. And going into last night's game, they actually still had an outside shot for a number one seed in the tournament. They fell to Michigan State 81-72 to in East Lansing. Uh, to drop their sixth loss. It's their sixth loss of the season. Going into the game, they were ranked number five. They had been on a seven-game winning streak since losing to Ohio State back in January. Uh, So that comes to an end. And still a couple games left here against Michigan and Ohio State, who are both ranked ahead of them in the rankings. And uh, Michigan is ahead of them in the Big Ten standings, although... With last night's loss, I don't believe they can catch them to, at least for the regular season. So Michigan might win out there, but Illinois still has a chance to win the Big Ten tournament and earn a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And a massive reason, the biggest reason for that is guard Io DeSumo from Chicago, which it's very nice to see for a change a... Chicago prospect stay in Illinois and go to one of the prominent schools, bringing it hopefully back to prominence. We'll see. They were on pace to make the tournament last year before the COVID shortened season being canceled. I'm I'm trying to look it up right now. I don't think that they've been in the tournament in, it's been quite some time. 2013, as I'm seeing, the last time they appeared. So it's been eight years since their last tournament appearance. We'll put an asterisk next to that because, like I said, they would have made it last year. It would have only been a seven-year streak, and there was no tournament last year. So let's say seven tournaments since they've been involved. But we haven't. I don't think we've seen a team this good or this exciting since the 2005 team that went uh, lost. Ended up only losing two games that year, including the national championship, the team that had D Brown and Darren Williams and Luther head and all those guys that really was one of the more exciting teams I can remember and really had the whole city of Chicago and the state of Illinois behind them. And then they kind of really fell off the map. They, they still stuck around as far as making the tournament for some time after that, but they never really had a contending team again like that with NBA prospects. They, not that they haven't produced NBA players, But you know what I mean. They haven't had contending teams. And so it's exciting to see that, although 
I'm starting to worry a little bit about a trend that I've noticed with this Illinois basketball team. And, and I'm going to focus more on Io DeSumo after this, but they have a tendency to lose games after winning big, not, not only big emotion games, but winning games big. So I'm just going to go through it a little bit earlier in the year, back when Duke was ranked and still playing, although they're playing better lately, Duke was ranked 10th at the time and Illinois beat them 83 to 68. And then they come out and lose to Missouri 81, 78, the following game. The next game after that, they beat Minnesota 92-65, to a good old butt-whooping. And then they come out and lose to Rutgers 91-88 the following game. Then they go on a nice little run there. They blow out Northwestern 81-56, to come out and lose to Maryland 66-63. to Do you guys notice the trend that I'm noticing here? Whenever Illinois has these big games, these big blowout games, they come seem to show up with a dud the following game. And we saw that come to fruition again last night as they beat Minnesota the other night, 94-63, to a dominant performance by DeSumo, a triple-double second in the last five games, only to come out and then lose a game to Michigan State. Again, when there are still big games left on their calendar down the stretch, a chance to still win the Big Ten if they win that game last night, and now the waters are a little bit murkier today. They've got four games left in Big Ten play, Nebraska at Wisconsin at Michigan, and then there's a TBD at Ohio State from a game earlier in the year that was postponed, I believe. So there's still a chance that head-to-head game with Michigan, and if Michigan can lose out a couple more, but it's a tough ask for a team that's only lost one game this entire season. And I think when you watch this team at times, they look like they have everything it takes to go on a long run and win the national championship. But then you see games like last night against an inferior opponent. I know Michigan State is normally a powerhouse program, but they're they're having a down year. And I don't think that's saying anything, going out on a limb saying anything. They're, they're having a down year for Michigan State, but for them to come out and beat Illinois pretty handily, there was moments in that game where they were down 17-plus points and they ended up cutting it to nine, but it wasn't really that close. So when you see games like that against teams you think they should beat and they have the talent to beat, it makes you wonder if if they have the, the what it takes to go on a long run in the NCAA tournament. Are they going to be one of those teams that loses in the first or second round and kind of surprises everybody? I really hope not because I really enjoy uh, watching this team. But the, you, you just, again, I, like I said, it makes you wonder when they come out with a game like last night, after a blowout, after a seven-game winning streak, and really just drop a dud. But Io DeSumo has been lights out this season, and and the main reason that Illinois is in the position that they're in, and Illinois basketball fans have to be elated because he originally had declared for the NBA draft last year and then decided to renege the de- declaration and then come back to school. And he has just been a man on fire this year, which is why I use that Lloyd Banks song there because he's been incredible. And I think he should win the Wooden Award as College Player of the Year. I know other people might argue that Luca Garza, who's averaging almost 25 points a game, should win it. And, and I, you know, I don't have a lot of good arguments against the guy. He is a great player as well, but I just think that without Io DeSumo, Illinois is nowhere near the same team. And not to say that 
Luca Garza being taken off Iowa wouldn't have the same effect. It's just Io DeSumo affects the game in so many different ways. Um, you know, right now, his stats on the season, I believe he's about 21 points a game, five rebounds, five assists. So he has the looks of one of those guys who can come in to the NBA and be a triple-double threat. He's got two on the season, which triple-doubles are not very common in college basketball. So to have two on the season and two in a, in a short run like he has has been impressive. So his, he's got 21 points a game, 6.3 rebounds, 5.3 assists. He's 6'5", 200 pounds. Like I said, he comes from Chicago. He's openly talked about how he was a huge Derrick Rose fan growing up, and he has based parts of his game off of Derrick Rose and watching him play. And I think this guy is destined to have a really good career in the NBA. And like I said, be one of those guys who can come in and be a triple-double threat on a nightly basis. It's already something that he's capable and has done in college. And and he, on top of the output that he's had, he just has that killer instinct mentality, which is so hard to come across. And it's it's something you can't teach. Guys who have it just have it. And they were born with it. It's inherent to them. They don't have to do anything to bring it out. It, it's just part of their DNA, part of who they are, and you can't teach it. And Io DeSumo has that because there's been stretches throughout many games this year where he is he has single-handedly carried the Illini. I know the game against Nebraska where it was a, a tight one where they were losing and ended up forcing overtime and winning. I think he scored the last 10 points down the stretch in regulation to force overtime, and then he scored six points in overtime in, in the victory. So he has these stretches where he just takes over and dominates games, and it's it's shooting the three. It's it's pulling up mid-range game. It's it's pump fake and driving the hoop, and, and he can pretty much get to anywhere he wants on the floor at any time. And it's just, again, it's been an absolute joy watching an Illinois basketball player dominate the college landscape again because we haven't seen it in such a long time and then with Kofi Coburn down low they make a pretty lethal combo on the pick and roll that's where a majority of his assists come from at the end of the day I don't know if this is homer bias because Illinois basketball is is the only college basketball I'm really exposed to I don't watch a whole lot nationally I just pay attention to the local teams and this year, Illinois basketball happens to be really good, so it makes them an easy watch and an easy follow. And Io DeSumo, in my mind, has is doing things that you don't always see at the at the college ranks. Like I like I said, Russell Westbrook was a guy who showed flashes in college, but he was only there for one year, so you didn't really get to see this. Io DeSumo is a junior; he's had time to work on his game, and he's one of those guys where he's going to come out of college being much better for having stayed multiple years and really working on his craft, perfecting his game. And what I love about him too, back to his mentality, is he's open about listening to what people say about him, what all the critics, all the haters say. He takes note and he works on those parts of his game where he says people don't think he has it. And he really takes that personally. And to me, again, there's just there's something about certain menta uh, certain mentality that you can't teach to players. And the guys that have it usually end up being successful in the NBA because on top of the talent that they already have, they're in there working harder than anybody else on the team. 
And that just sets such a good example for the rest of the team as well. And and comparing him to Zach Levine like I did heading into the break, it's because I see the same thing out of Zach Levine. He's he's great this year. He's one of the best players in the NBA as shown by being picked as an all-star. But that's not by mistake. It's because he's worked his butt off to get to that point. And now we're seeing all that hard work pay dividends in the output and the production that they're showing on the court. So I think there are a lot of parallels between Io DeSumo and Zach Levine's season. And I'm excited to see how far, first of all, how Illinois bounce back, bounces back after the loss yesterday. If they can really hit their stride going into Big Ten tournament and March Madness play. And then if they can, you know, I think they have as good a shot as anyone to win the NCAA tournament. It's been wide open the last few years, and we're, we're in a strange year where a lot of the Blue Bloods, the big programs that are normally there, are having down years. Yesterday, Tony La Russa received an endorsement by the most important voice in the White Sox locker room. We'll talk about why it's a huge deal next here on SportstownChicago.com. You know, definitely take, um, you know, just this, this drive to win. Um, this motivation to win is definitely, you know, what we need at this point. And just to be the best, you know, man, just to go out and continue to work and, uh, you know, uh, make everything count, really. Um, you know, I think we got, you know, I always say we got the right person. I think, I think he's, you know, I think he's pretty solid so far. You know, I've been liking, you know, uh, everything's been great. Um, the things that he's been preaching has been good. So um, I think he, you know, I think he got the right spot and we got the right man. Yeah, I definitely, you know, we definitely set out had a one-on-one. Um, I got to know him more as a person than more so, you know, um, the manager part. Um, but, yeah, man, just to see what page he's on is definitely, you know, awesome. And, uh, you know, just to have a conversation with him, uh, very motivating. Um, you know, man, it's just the, the drive to win, you know, the drive that want to win. And, uh, you know, he has that. And, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm behind him 110%. You know, that's the ultimate goal to win and uh, to win a World Series here. So, uh, you know, man, I'm behind him. Welcome back to Old Sport Radio here on SportstownChicago.com. I'm Pat Riley. That was the voice of White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson speaking to reporters after practice the other day, audio courtesy of the White Sox. And if you're a White Sox fan, this is music to your ears after a pretty tumultuous offseason regarding the Tony La Russa signing. Just a quick reminder, you can connect with me on social media, Facebook, if you search Old Sport for groups, join our group, and you can connect with the show there, or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at to the Pat Cave. Andy in Elmhurst checks in, says, finally, someone has publicly sided with La Russa. Makes it feel a little better going into spring training. Andy, I can't help but agree with you as a Sox fan. I was very happy to hear what Tim Anderson had to say yesterday and felt a huge sense of relief after not really hearing anything. And I think that was probably the most confusing thing over anything was that we hadn't heard anything yet. And and Tony La Russa hasn't said anything really to the media. He, had, he did one interview with, I can't remember who it was with, but it was not with the local Chicago media. So we're finally hearing the perspective of somebody who has now we've also confirmed that Tim Anderson has spoken to him before all we knew was he had exchanged text messages 
We know they've had face-to-face conversations. Obviously, they're at spring training, so he's talking with all of his players now. And you just wonder how those conversations are going because, again, the age gap and everything that surrounded this hire this year. I don't think I'd be going out on a limb saying that there have been smoother hiring processes than the Tony La Russa hiring because it was pretty much a disaster from the start. It was not well received by fans because of just the age. He's 76 years old, hadn't been in a dugout for nine years. The available players, as far as A.J. Hinch and Joey Cora, although both Alex Cora, sorry, both uh, both with a little bit of dirty laundry behind them with their cheating scandals, but also both World Series winning managers in the past five years and just connected with the game. Not to say Tony La Russa was completely out of the game because he wasn't, but he was in a different capacity and he wasn't managing a dugout. And when you're away for that long, it just, you have questions. Even if the last game that the guy managed was game seven of a world series and a win, it just, it hasn't been well received. I'll just leave it at that and to finally hear and to hear Tim Anderson of all people come out and say it. Now it doesn't surprise you because Tim Anderson is definitely the most vocal player on the White Sox and plays with the most emotion, but he sets the tone for for the whole locker room. And and I think it was the biggest concern that White Sox fans had was that an old school guy like Larusa was going to come in. He was going to rub Anderson the wrong way, and either it was going to affect his play, or it was going to affect the camaraderie in the locker room, the culture that's already been built. And that, to me, would just be a massive disaster because here we are, the White Sox fandom had been waiting for five years now, at least to return to relevance in some form. We had to sit through, I'll say even seven years, because we had to watch the rise of the Cubs on the north side, leading to their 2016 World Series, ending their drought. And then luckily nothing else ever came of it. But we had to sit through that as we, as the White Sox tore it down and built it back from the ground up. And anytime you decide to go that route, Nothing is guaranteed, and that's what makes it extremely, extremely scary because you could go out and make all the moves and feel like you're doing all the right things, but then it never comes to fruition, and then you're stuck in a position where you're a bottom dweller for a decade. And as a fandom, that is a very, very hard period of time to sit through. Now, luckily, things have worked out. The trades have panned out. Anderson has come up and been a huge bright spot for this team, but I mentioned the trade. Mankata has been solid. You're still waiting to see what you got out of Michael Kopech. You were able to flip Dane Dunning for Lance Lynn, who is a proven commodity. Eloy Jimenez has been great. Jose Abreu has been great. All the pieces are in place for this team to be a contender. You went out this offseason. You assured up probably the best bullpen in the American League signing Liam Hendricks to pair with Aaron Bummer, 
and Cody Hoyer and probably Michael Kopech in that bullpen and Matt Foster, all these great arms from last year from that dominant bullpen, Garrett Crochet, all these guys compile this amazing bullpen and you have this dangerous offensive lineup, lethally dangerous offensive lineup. One through nine can basically hurt you in different ways. I say that because a guy like Nick Madrigal can't hurt you the same way that a guy like Eloy Jimenez or Jose Abreu can, but he can sure as heck hurt you in a lot of other ways as far as being a really hard out, making contact, aggressive base running. Would still like to see him improve on defense, but offensively this team is dangerous and scary, and the American League should be scared because they didn't make the sexy moves, I think, that everyone was hoping for, getting Trevor Bauer, getting George Springer. They didn't make those moves. But what they did do, like I said, they traded for Lance Lynn, a guy who is an absolute horse and innings eater and a great pitcher. He's been a top five Cy Young finisher for the last few years and one of the best pitchers, top 10, 15 pitchers in baseball the last few years. Now you got him, you put him in the mix with Giolito, who's blossomed into one of the best pitchers in baseball with Dallas Keuchel, who is as consistent as they come and just a strong force in that locker room. You got Dylan Cease fighting for that fourth spot. You bring Rodon back. Supposedly he's been told that he's he's got that fifth starting spot. We'll see. But they got a lot of arms to pair with that offense. And to me, it's just I find it hard to find a scenario in my head where the the Sox don't win the AL Central this year. And I don't want to say that as a homer. When you just watch what they were able to do last season, really when you look at last season, they went cold down. They started off slow, and then they went cold right towards the end of the season where if they were just average in those two stretches, they easily win the AL Central because they were they were with close by the end of the season anyway. They they were in the driver's seat for a while down the stretch there. They lost seven straight towards the end of the year, including four to the Indians, and ended up finishing in third. They were right there to win that division last year. They kind of just took their foot off the gas at the wrong time, and it hurt them ultimately as they were a first-round playoff exit. Now, I think that playoff experience, while it was not fun to watch as a fan, it was massively important for the growth and development of this young team because they got that taste of playoff baseball. And now they're all hungry to come back and not just advance to the next round, but to the ALCS and to the World Series and to win a World Series. You hear it every day with these guys' interviews. Their ultimate goal is to win a World Series. And yes, at the end of the day, every team's ultimate goal should be to win the World Series. If your team's ultimate goal isn't to win the World Series, you should stop rooting for that team. But in this instance, when I say they're openly talking about playing for and winning a World Series, there's a difference between stating that as your goal and going out there and saying it with conviction, like you're hearing the White Sox roster go out and do this offseason. These guys are ready to go out there and prove that this is... This is this team is real. This is a real contending team. This team can go out and win the World Series this year. And I'm sure as heck ready to watch it. I am going to get out to the park as much as I can this year as 
as fans are slowly starting to get let back into sporting events. But there is a buzz around this team that the White Sox have not had around them in a long time. And it feels great because of everything that White Sox fans have endured since winning the World Series in 2005. When I hear Tim Anderson come out and say, those, those 2005 World Series pictures are starting to look real old, that to me gets me so excited. Because again, it just shows how motivated these guys are. They're noticing all these banners and all the love around this 2005 team because there hasn't been another championship since then. And and as it goes, as us Bears fans know, until you win the next one, you're only going to be talking about the previous one. And I sure as heck know that White Sox fans don't want 2005 to turn into 1985 for their fandom because there is legitimately a team in place right now to go out and end that, to end that drought. I believe that. Baseball is a sport where you can have the best team on paper, but you're not automatically going to win. I know the Dodgers did it last year, but it was really hard for them. If you go back and you look at their playoff run, they got pushed to the brink a few times. It wasn't easy like they went through and swept everyone. It was tough. It's really hard to win the World Series. It's one of the hardest trophies to win. But that being said, sometimes there's just years where the right team with the right guys and the right chemistry, they just come together and they do something special and they're enshrined forever in their cities because of what they accomplish. And I don't know, I just have this feeling that this is a year like that for the Chicago White Sox. I can't say what it is. It's just, it's just a feeling that I have. When we come back, the options at QB for the 2021 season are starting to dwindle for the Bears. We'll discuss what options they have left here on SportstownChicago.com. We have breaking news on CBS Sports HQ. The Carson Wentz deal is about to get done. Our Jason Lockett for confirming that the Eagles are trading Wentz to the Colts. Now, Philadelphia receives a third-round pick in this year's draft and a conditional second-round pick in the 2022 draft. That doesn't sound like much, but if Wentz plays 70, 75% of the snaps, that that second rounder in 2022 would become a first round pick. Welcome back to Old Sport Radio here on SportstownChicago.com. As you heard there, thanks to CBS for the audio. Carson Wentz was traded to the Indianapolis Colts last week for a 2023 third-round pick and a 2022 second-round conditional pick, which, if Carson Wentz plays between 70 and 75% or more of the Colts' snaps this year, will turn into a first-round pick for the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Bears miss out on one of the options out there that not only seemed like a good fit for the system that the Bears run, but also um, just a, a good fit in the sense that he's a high-ceiling guy with high upside, and the, the thought is if you bring him in and you get the best out of him, you got 
four to five years left of prime quarterback play from a top 10 to 15 quarterback in the league, which is better than the Bears have ever been able to say for their entire existence of their franchise. But obviously, he's coming off the worst season of his career, and you wonder about whether Matt Nagy and co. were the guys to bring the best out of him. At the end of the day, reports were coming out that Carson Wentz preferred to be in Indianapolis under Frank Reich, who was the offensive coordinator during the season, which he had his best year for the Eagles in 2017. He was on pace to win the MVP that year until he went out with an ACL injury. So he is paired back up in his preferred situation. And as I'm not upset as a Bears fan because I don't think it's the end of the world, but I do think that was probably your best option left in addressing the quarterback situation for this year. And it makes me wonder if the plan is to just go into next year with Nick Foles as the starter and take a stab at one of these quarterbacks in the first round. If that's the plan, I hate it because where you're picking right now and based on all the mock drafts that have been coming out, you're going to get the fifth best quarterback in this draft who's probably Mac Jones. And I'm sorry, I just don't really... I've spoke on it in the past and I had kind of been warm on him for a little bit, but I... I don't really want an Alabama quarterback who's throwing to absolute superstars every week and then comes into the NFL and plays for a crap team like the Bears and gets a huge wake-up call that he's not really as great of a player as he thought he was. And I just don't want anything to do with that. And I'm worried now because I don't know what they're going to do for a quarterback this year, and I'm not comfortable if they go in with Nick Foles next season because, as we saw last year, he looks like he doesn't have it anymore. He played terrible, his, probably his worst season in the NFL, and he's had a couple bad seasons mixed in there amongst the good ones, uh, the ones that got him paid. And, and there's really just not a lot of options left. So you look at what, what's left out there. I went over a little bit of the free agent list last week. You got guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who probably is a better option than than Nick Foles if you bring him in. At least he has the ability to move around a little bit, although he's going to be 40 years old here very soon. But he can move around and make plays. Don't really think he's going to lead you to the promised land, though. guy like Tyrod Taylor looking for a fresh start, although he hasn't started in a few years now, and it seems like every time he has an opportunity to start, something gets in the way, keeping him from doing so. And with the Bears' bad luck... With QBs in their history, you just you feel like something terrible would happen to the guy. Worse than last year where his team doctor punctured his lung, leading to Justin Herbert coming in and winning Offensive Rookie of the Year and never giving the job back. So I personally think that the best option right now that the Bears could realistically go for, because I know Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson are both available, Both are going to cost a King's Ransom, which I would be completely fine with the Bears parting way with the next three first-round picks for either guy because they're game changers and they're better than anyone the Bears have ever suited up at the quarterback position in the history of their franchise. I just don't think that's realistic to get it done. I feel like other teams are being more aggressive right now in pursuing those options, and I think the Bears are just going to be left sitting in the dust eating the wind from all the other teams that really went for it when the Bears kind of sat on their hands like they always do. Gotta love them though, right? Gotta love being a Bears fan. Sam Darnold is the name that I'm trying to spit out but doing a very bad job of getting to. He's a guy who 
similar to Carson Wentz, was a high draft pick, seemingly has high ceiling potential. Different from Carson Wentz, though, is he hasn't been able to figure it out at all on the NFL level. As I mentioned, Carson Wentz had a 33-touchdown season, MVP caliber season, 28 touchdowns a couple other times. Darnold hasn't thrown more than 20 touchdowns in the NFL in any given season yet. He also hasn't played more than 13 games in any season yet. But he does have good arm talent. He has good athletic ability. He's very similar to Mitch, but I think that he has a better understanding of the game. He's a better student of the game than Mitch Trubisky. And I think he would be able to maybe unlock something coming here. Now, again, I, I don't really have a whole lot of confidence that Matt Nagy and co are going to be the guys to help him unlock that and push him over the edge. But at a certain point, you really just, you have to try because I don't think there's any good use going into this season with this roster and this defense there's no reason to go in there with Nick Foles and try and just play it out and see what happens. If you're going to try and get everything you can out of this defense, you need to go for it right now. You need to make a move for, again, best case scenario, you bring in a young quarterback who has high potential, high upside. You unlock whatever he's lacking in his current situation, and then you have prime quarterback, five to seven prime quarterback years of Sam Darnold at best case scenario, ten to top ten to fifteen quarterback, but still top to ten to fifteen quarterback for the Bears is better than they've ever had. And I keep saying it because it's pathetic how terrible the Bears' history of quarterbacks is. And here we are sitting here for the second time in the last five years trying to figure out the quarterback position while all these other teams—I shouldn't say all these other teams—this select handful of other teams never have to think about it. The Packers just go into the year to the season with Aaron Rodgers. Now they might be screwing that up with drafting Jordan Love last year and trying to rush him onto the field, but I think as long as Rodgers is healthy and playing like he did last year, there's no reason to think that he's not going to play his contract out in Green Bay. Bears don't have that luxury of waking up and not having to worry about the quarterback position. It's the complete opposite. They have to wake up, and every single day, they have to worry about the quarterback position because they've never been able to figure it out. It has held them back as a franchise and an organization for the last 30 years, and I have no confidence that the people in charge are the ones that are going to finally make that right decision and give Bears fans this franchise QB that they've been starving for their entire lives. Sid Luckman doesn't count. No one was, barely anyone was alive when he was playing. Jim McMahon was not a franchise QB. He was good enough to win a Super Bowl, but that's it. Do you guys realize that Jay Cutler has the best quarterback season in Bears history with 28 touchdown passes? The Bears have never had a quarterback throw for 30 touchdowns or 5,000 yards in a season. The Bears have been playing football for 101 seasons. Matthew Stafford has four to five such seasons to himself. It's just, it's pathetic. And I'm sick of pretending like it's not. I'm sick of trying to make excuses for this organization as to why they can't get it figured out. There aren't great excuses. To me, it's the ownership. It's the people who run the team. They're not competent. 
They don't understand football or the business of football or how to build a consistent winning football team. And as long as the McCaskies own this franchise, Bears fans are going to have to sit through mediocre to bad seasons with the occasional first place in the division, one playoff win season sprinkled in, but very rarely because it doesn't happen a lot. Instead, we're just going to have to live with what we've lived with our entire lives. And personally, I'm getting pretty sick of that. Getting real sick of it. Before we close out here on Old Sport Radio, and I appreciate you guys tuning in. As I mentioned, you can connect with me on social media. If you go to Facebook and search Old Sport, join our group. I will approve you. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at to the Pat Cave. Got one more comment here on Facebook from Jimmy in Villa Park says, been hearing, reading a lot of noise about trading Levine now to get a haul back. That's the wrong move in my opinion. He deserves a max deal this offseason and will still have the cap space for another, I believe. I hope he starts recruiting in Atlanta during All-Star Game weekend. Jimmy, I could not agree with you more. I really hope the Bulls are not looking that direction because Zach has been absolutely awesome this year, and I want to see him in a Bulls uniform for the foreseeable future. That's all I've got for this week's edition of Old Sport Radio. Thank you to everyone who listened. If you don't already, as I mentioned, join our Facebook group, search Old Sport, and submit a request. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at to the Pat Cave. Hope everyone has a fantastic evening. This is Pat Riley, and I'm out. <laughs>